Some Christians believe that the Big Bang is a scientific fact. Then they add the Big Bang into Genesis, believing that God used the Big Bang to create the universe. The Big Bang and the Bible, this week on Creation Magazine Live. The audio podcast that you're about to hear features scientific evidence for biblical creation. For many more evidences for the accuracy of the Bible, visit our website, creation.com. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Richard Fangrad. And I'm Thomas Bailey. This week on Creation Magazine Live, our topic is the Big Bang and the Bible. Yes. Many Christians have questions about how the Big Bang might fit with the Bible, since the Big Bang seems to be well supported with scientific evidence. That's right. Yeah, today we're going to consider that evidence and also have a look at whether the Big Bang could fit with the Bible's description of creation. At the risk of turning away viewers, for the sake of clarity, we're going to give you our conclusions now and then spend the next half hour providing evidence for those conclusions. And the conclusions are, firstly, the Big Bang is a terrible scientific explanation for the origin of the universe. Yes. And secondly, the Big Bang cannot be made to fit with Scripture. That's right. Yeah, okay, now some of you are are probably thinking uh, that we have a lot of explaining to do, so let's begin with the science, uh, or, or rather the lack of good science associated with the Big Bang. The commonly accepted Big Bang model supposedly determines the history of the universe. Uh, beginning about 13.8 billion years ago or so. And in this simplified diagram here, it's broken up into four major stages. Uh, the, the evolution of the universe, you can see it there. But in order for the Big Bang to determine this neat history of the universe, it has to be propped up with unprovable fudge factors. <laughs> now, those might sound like fighting words, but that seems to be the state of cosmology today. And the reason that the Big Bang needs these fudge factors is because of the unverifiable starting assumptions that are inherently wrong. However, some brave physicists have had the nerve to challenge the ruling paradigm. One of these is Professor Richard Liu, who is the department chair of astrophysics at the University of Alabama. He wrote, Cosmology is not even astrophysics. All the principal assumptions in this field are unverified or unverifiable in the laboratory. Ouch. <laughs> okay. So, so there are experts who recognize legitimate problems with the Big Bang. And they're not just biblical creationists who are pointing them out. But he goes on to say, because the universe offers no control experiment. That's, that's the reasoning behind what he said. What he means is that the same observations can be interpreted in several different ways. But because there are no other universes to compare ours with, you can't determine absolutely which is the correct answer. Right. We don't know what a typical universe should look like, since this one is the only one we have. And because of that, cosmologists today are inventing all sorts of stuff that has just the right properties to make their theories work. But it's stuff that has never been observed in the lab. Yeah. They have become comfortable with inventing unknowns to explain the unknown, says Liu. Yeah, cosmologists tell us that we live in a universe filled with invisible, unobserved stuff. About 74% dark energy, 22% dark matter. But what is this stuff that we cannot detect, yet should be all around us? Only 4% of the matter-energy content of the universe is supposed to be the ordinary atoms that that we're familiar with, 4%. But in June 2013, after the release of the first results from the Planck satellite, 
the fractions of dark energy and dark matter were changed to 68% dark energy and 27% dark matter, leaving 5% normal atomic matter. Ooh, okay, big change. <laughs> For 40 years, one form or another of dark matter has been sought in the lab. Uh, one of the hypothetical uh, elementary particles that make up the imaginary dark matter was named Axion. And it was named after a popular U.S. brand of laundry detergent because they thought its discovery would clean up some problems with particle physics. <laughs> Proponents of that theory say that only about 5% of all the universe is composed of atoms. The actual stuff that we can see and, and measure, while well, 27% is dark matter and about 68% is dark energy. What is dark energy? Let's do that. Dark energy is some sort of anti-gravity that is supposed to be uh, driving the universe apart at an even faster pace than in the past. No, we're not making this up. <laughs> it was reported that it is an irony of nature that the most abundant form of energy in the universe is also the most mysterious. Since the breakthrough discovery that the cosmic expansion is accelerating, a consistent picture has emerged indicating that two-thirds of the cosmos is made of dark energy, some sort of gravitationally repulsive material. Okay, well, they're right about the irony, right? Uh, even though uh, this energy is allegedly so abundant, it can't be observed locally in the laboratory. Uh, in 2011, the Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded for the discovery of the accelerating expansion of the universe. It's the idea that the universe appears to be expanding at an increasing rate, so that the, the velocity at which a distant galaxy is receding from the observer is continuously increasing with time. The speed is increasing with time. And in order for that to happen, there must be some kind of anti-gravitational force constantly pushing everything apart, right. which means dark energy must be real stuff. The problem is, it has no correlation to anything we know in the laboratory today, which hardly makes sense. That's right, yeah. Dr. John Hartnett, a retired physicist who has uh, published more than 100 papers in peer-reviewed scientific journals and works with our Australian office, he said, I recall Nobel laureate Stephen Chu speaking at a large gathering of high school children on the occasion of the Australian Institute of Physics National Congress at the Australian National University in Canberra in 2005. He said that we now understand nearly all there is to know about the universe except for a few small details, like what is dark energy and dark matter, which allegedly makes up 96% of the, of the stuff of the universe. Amazing. 96% of the stuff the universe is made of, the stuff that's needed to get the Big Bang model to work properly, hasn't been observed. Can't see it. Yeah. And isn't even well-defined. But it has to be there because, well, the Big Bang is true. It won't work if, without it, yeah. Uh, actually, Dr. Hartnett, who's a, who's a Bible-believing scientist, has developed an explanation for the large-scale structure of the universe based on relativity that doesn't include the need for dark matter and dark energy. Seems like a pretty good model if it can do that. <laughs> he describes this model in his book, Starlight, Time, and the New Physics. For anyone who's into astrophysics, or if this is just a topic that interests you, we would highly recommend this book. Yeah, that's a good book. One of the alleged proofs of the Big Bang model is said to be the cosmic microwave background, or CMB. This is a very faint radiation that has a frequency that peaks around 160 gigahertz, which is within the microwave range of frequencies, hence the designation microwave. The radiation was discovered in 1964, 
and soon after it was claimed that this radiation is the afterglow of the original explosion or fireball of the Big Bang. Since the time at which the radiation was emitted from the fireball, the universe has allegedly expanded and that afterglow radiation has cooled down to much longer wavelengths. The wavelengths were stretched from the infrared to the microwave portion of the spectrum. And this is what's detected by microwave telescopes today. Right, yeah. According to the theory, the Big Bang fireball should be the most distant light source of all, right? So all galaxy clusters would be in the foreground of this source. So then, all the CMB radiation must pass the galaxy clusters between the source and the observer, our, our telescopes here on Earth. So if the Big Bang was true, the light from the fireball should cast shadows in the foreground right. of all the galaxies. Here's the problem. In the Astrophysical Journal back in 2006, 31 galaxy clusters were studied and no shadows were detected. It's amazing. Uh, the results were reported in ScienceDaily.com on that website and under the heading, Big Bang's Afterglow Fails Intergalactic Shadow Test. A team of scientists led by Dr. Richard Liu concluded that either it, talking about the microwave background, isn't coming from behind the clusters, which means the Big Bang is blown away, or there's something else going on. Well, there is something else going on. Yeah. The results of that study are still unrefuted. What it means is that the source of the CMB must be local and not from the Big Bang. That's right, yeah. Uh, more woes for the Big Bang history of the universe. Uh, and, and yet another problem for those who hang their Christian apologetics on beliefs of, of modern science, so-called. Uh, these are major problems. We covered two major problems already. We talked about the fact that in the Big Bang model, dark matter and dark energy make up about 96% of the universe, but both of these seem to only exist in the minds of the people who already believe the Big Bang. Right. Yeah. Then we summarized the discovery that the cosmic microwave background radiation really isn't in the background at all. Yes, uh, that one by itself is a major blow to the Big Bang, and people still hail its original discovery as proof of the Big Bang, but it's not. Another key piece of the Big Bang model concerns redshifted energy coming from distant objects, galaxies, and so on. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the conclusion first, and then we'll need to explain why it's so devastating to the Big Bang. A quasar with an enormous redshift has been found embedded in a nearby galaxy with a much lower redshift. For those of you who know a bit about astrophysics, you already know what the problem is. Yeah. For the rest of you, let's start by explaining what redshift is. If objects are moving very fast, we can measure this by a change of color in the light we observe. This effect is better known with sound. If a fast-moving car passes you, you notice a sharp drop in pitch as it passes you and speeds away. When the car is moving toward you, you hear a higher pitch, a higher frequency than when the car is standing still. But when it's moving away, you hear a still lower pitch. This is called the Doppler effect after the Austrian physicist Christian, Christian Doppler. Yes, and with light, we can see the change of frequency as a color change. If an object is moving toward you, you can measure a higher frequency, or a blue shift, and if it's receding, then we see a lower frequency, or a red shift. Here's how this is related to the Big Bang. Edwin Hubble discovered that in general, for galaxies, the greater the red shift, the greater the distance from us, now called the Hubble Law. Because he determined their distances by an independent means, he was able to confirm that the law worked for the bright spiral galaxies. Mm. 
The idea has now been extrapolated to all objects in the universe, and it is an essential part of Big Bang models. In this diagram, you can see the reference at the top and the black lines called absorption lines representing specific frequencies emitted by whatever the distant object is burning. For the most distant object, the quasar there at the bottom, the absorption lines are the most shifted in the direction of the red part of the spectrum. Right, so the Big Bang model says that things that are furthest away from us are moving away from us more quickly than things closer to us. So the more distant the object, the higher the redshift. There, there are certain objects called quasars or quasi-stellar objects that have enormous redshifts. So by the standard redshift interpretation, they're supposed to be at the very edge of the visible universe. To appear so bright at such enormous distances, they're speculated to be superluminous black holes with a million or a hundred million times more mass than our sun, surrounded by a disk of material. Some of the material falls into the black hole, causing the emission of huge amounts of energy. Yeah, a team of astronomers and astrophysicists published the discovery of a new quasar in the Astrophysical Journal. This quasar is embedded in galaxy NGC 7319, very close to its center. Uh, you, you can see a picture of it here. The black arrow is pointing to the quasar. According to the Hubble law, the galaxy NGC 7319, with a redshift of 0.022, is about 360 million light years from Earth. But since the quasar has 100 times the galaxy's redshift, it must be receding about 100 times faster and be 30 times farther away. If this was true, these objects could not be physically connected to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what Big Bang theorists first said. Uh, that, that, that the objects merely look to be close uh, because the quasar happens to be in the same line of sight as the galaxy, although it's billions of light years behind. However, the newly discovered quasar is interacting with the gaseous material in its host galaxy. There's a strong outflow uh, of gas detected suggesting that the quasar is actually being ejected from the galaxy and it's carrying along some of the material near it. So the quasar really is in that galaxy. Big Bang theorists strongly reject the interpretation that this quasar is connected to the galaxy, even although it is based on observation, because it utterly demolishes a key assumption of how matter was first formed in yeah. the Big Bang. The Big Bang has some serious problems, and there's, there's more than just a few scientists who know about them. A bombshell open letter to the scientific community by 33 leading scientists was published on the Internet and in New Scientist. The open letter includes statements such as, The Big Bang today relies on a growing number of hypothetical entities, things that we have never observed. Inflation, dark matter, and dark energy are the most prominent examples. Without them, there would be a fatal contradiction between the observations made by astronomers and the predictions of the Big Bang Theory. Another statement says, but the Big Bang Theory can't survive without these fudge factors. Without the hypothetical inflation field, the Big Bang does not predict the smooth, isotropic cosmic background radiation that is observed because there would be no way for the parts of the universe that are now more than a few degrees away in the sky to come to the same temperature and thus emit the same amount of microwave radiation. We haven't even mentioned that one yet. Yeah. It's a problem that resulted from the observation that the temperature of the background radiation is essentially the same everywhere, in all directions, 
to a precision of one part in 100,000. But according to Big Bang theorists, in the early universe, the temperature of the background radiation would have been different at different places in space because of the random nature of the initial conditions. Yes, so these different regions could come to the same temperature if they were in close contact. More distant regions would come to equilibrium by exchanging radiation over time. In other words, the radiation would carry energy from the warmer regions to the cooler ones until they had the same temperatures that, that, that scientists now observe. The problem is this. Even assuming the Big Bang time scale of billions of years, there hasn't been enough time for energy to travel at the speed of light between widely separated regions of space. Yeah. So how can the different regions have such even temperatures? Yeah, and, and that's yet another serious discrepancy between scientific observations and the Big Bang model. Uh, the open letter also said, In no other field of physics would this continual recourse to new hypothetical objects be accepted as a way of bridging the gap between theory and observation. It would, at the least, raise serious questions about the validity of the underlying theory. That's a great point. Yeah. In science, when the observations don't fit your theory, you can't just keep inventing hypothetical objects to prop up the theory. That's right. You really need to ask the question that, that we've mentioned many times before, which history fits best? The, the Big Bang as, as a historical framework that's supposed to explain the origin of the universe doesn't fit the observations from science. Another statement in the open letter says, what is more, the Big Bang theory can boast of no quantitative predictions that have subsequently been validated by observation. The successes claimed by the theory's supporters consist of its ability to retrospectively fit observations with a steadily increasing array of adjustable parameters. And, and that is a devastating statement because one of the tests of a robust scientific theory is that you can use it to make predictions, which are then verified or, or falsified by observations. And Bible-believing scientists have done exactly that. Right. For example, physicist Dr. Russell Humphreys proposed that God first created the earth and other heavenly bodies out of water. Plain old ordinary liquid water, because that's what the Hebrew word rendered water at the end of Genesis 1 verse 2 actually means. Yeah, you also see the word water featured prominently in 2 Peter 3, verse 5, where Peter describes creation. Now, according to Dr. Humphrey's model, God transformed much of the water into other substances. Based on, on plausible assumptions about the initial magnetism and, and a biblical age for creation, Humphrey's also calculated the magnetic fields of other planets and the sun. Now, his model predicts the field strengths we observe and explains features that are a puzzle to evolutionists. They include the moon's strong magnetic field in the past and the strong field of Mercury, although both rotate very slowly. So the predictions made from a biblically-based model were verified scientifically. In 1984, Dr. Humphreys predicted that the field strengths of Uranus and Neptune were about 100,000 times the evolutionary predictions from their dynamo theory. The two rival models were tested when the Voyager 2 spacecraft flew past these planets in 1986 and 1989. The fields for Uranus and Neptune were just as Humphreys had predicted. Yeah, start with the right assumptions, get the right conclusions. Yet many anti-creationists call creation unscientific because it supposedly makes no predictions. 
Today, we've been summarizing a few scientific evidences against the Big Bang model. Yes. And we just briefly mentioned some scientific successes based on biblically derived models for the universe. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to see how many Christian leaders have, have not just tolerated the Big Bang idea, but they've embraced it wholeheartedly. They've made it a part of, the, a part of creation, part of theology. Uh, to hear their pronouncements is like believers should welcome it as a major plank in our defense of the faith. Uh, sort of, at last, we can use science to prove that there's a creator for the universe. But there's a heavy price to pay for surrendering to the temptation of secular acceptability, yeah. at least in physics and astronomy. As a ministry, we have warned for a long time that adopting the Big Bang into Christian thought is like bringing the wooden horse within the walls of Troy. Yeah. For a number of reasons. The Big Bang forces acceptance of a sequence of events totally incompatible with the Bible. Yeah, For so example, the earth after the sun instead of earth before sun. That's right. That's backwards. Uh, number two, the Big Bang's billions of years of astronomical evolution are not only based on naturalistic assumptions, they're contrary to the words of Jesus himself, who said that people were there right from the beginning not towards the end of an incredibly long creation so-called process. That's right. Number three, the slow evolution of the stars, then the solar system and the planets, including Earth, in Big Bang thinking means that Big Bang Christians are also going to have to accept geological evolution. Millions of years for the Earth's fossil-bearing rocks to be laid down. So they end up denying the global flood and accepting death and uh, bloodshed and disease as seen in the fossils before Adam. This removes the fall and the curse on creation from any effect on the real world. And it also removes the biblical answer that Christians have always had to the problem of suffering and evil. God made a perfect world ruined by sin. Yeah, and that's huge. Uh, and, and lastly... Marrying one's theology to today's science, so-called science, means that one is likely to be widowed tomorrow. Um, if, if you hang your hat, your theological hat, on the Big Bang because the majority believes it, you'll be embarrassed when it fails. Instead, let's trust in the one who made it all. His words are truth and life and will never be let down. That's why as a ministry, we call ourselves presuppositional. We start yeah. with the idea that the Bible is the Word of God and it's infallible. So we put our faith in that. Then we look to the science to see how, how best to understand the Bible rather than to try to interpret the Bible using secular science of the day. Right, yeah. And don't get the impression that we think science is bad. Science is great. In fact, as, as far as we know, of all the Christian ministries around the world, we employ the most Ph.D. scientists. And, and Thomas and I and the other hosts of this show, we have the, the, the privilege of, of delivering some of that to, to you fine folks sitting at home or wherever you might be listening. But it, science is not bad. Oftentimes creationists are painted like, oh, we're anti-science and, and that kind of thing. But no, that's not the, that's not the point. We're, we, we deny the false history of evolution and today's, today's topic, the Big Bang. That's wrong. Not the science, not the physics, not the astrophysics and all of the wonderful work that scientists do around the world, even if they're not Christians. The science is great. And the science, as we've kind of hinted at in the last half hour, wonderfully supports what the Bible says. That's right. Yep. That's right. And you can find out more about that by uh, getting hold of our magazine called Creation Magazine. Yes. Uh, you can get the, uh, the paper version of it, or you can go online and, uh, and download a, a free digital version. Go to creation.com slash 
free mag, and you can uh, take a look for yourself. It's some of the material that we use in putting together this show and uh, some of the research that our scientists have been doing that, uh, that comes from a biblically-based perspective. Both the Creation Magazine Live TV show and this podcast are produced by Creation Ministries International, a global think tank organization dedicated to disseminating the huge amount of scientific evidence for the accuracy of the biblical account of the origin of our universe. If you'd like to donate to keep this information coming, go to creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.